Happy Easter, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're here with us. My name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are ending a series that we've been in over the past few weeks together called Last Words. And we are looking at the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross before his death. And today we're going to look at one of the final statements that he made. And it's a big statement. It's a huge statement that has big implications for us today and for all of eternity. But before we get into that, let me tell you what we're going to do next week. So next week, we're going to start a series called Your Questions, Biblical Answers. And that series is based upon the questions that many of our church family asked back in January. So in January, January, we gave everybody an opportunity to ask any question that you have about God, faith, or the Bible. And our church family turned in 184 questions. That's a lot of questions. So what we did with those questions, we were looking through them, and some of your questions were fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at them going like, wow, great question. Not sure the answer. I've got some homework to do. Some of the other questions that you asked were similar to questions that have been asked by a lot of people. And so we put those questions together. If they were similar to another question, we put them in categories. And so we've got these categories. We came up with the top five categories, the top five questions that our church family is asking. And what I ask you to do is there's a little card, invitation card on your seat. It looks like this. So it's got on one side our Easter advertisement. On the other side, it's got an invitation to that series. What I ask you to do is to invite your, your friends, your family, people at school, people maybe you know at the gym, to come and be a part of that series. Because here's what I know. Our friends, our family members, people that we work with, they often have the same kind of questions that we have about God, faith, and the Bible. And they would love to hear some honest answers. They may not like the answers they hear. They may not agree with the answers that they hear. But they would love to hear honest answers from a biblical perspective. So I encourage you to take these, take as many as you need. You can go over to our Connection Center on the other side, take a handful of those, and take them with you to work or to school. Now, here's the first question that we're going to look at next week. So the first question is this, and I think this was the biggest response we had from everybody. If God is so loving, then why in the world does he let bad things happen to good people? There are other questions related to pain and suffering and evil. Like, if God is so good, why in the world would he let that stuff happen? And that's a question that most of us have asked. If you haven't asked it, there's a good chance you'll ask it in the near future as you face your, your next very difficult thing. Um, another question that many people asked was this, this tension between faith and doubt. Is it one of those things that like, I have to have one or the other? Like, If I have doubts, does that mean I can't have faith? Or is it possible for me to have faith with some doubts? A lot of people were asking questions like that. And so again, I encourage you, Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your coworkers, invite your enemies, people you don't like to come. They, they may love to hear a biblical perspective, some biblical answers for the real questions that we have. So take some of those with you and invite people this week. Okay, now for today's message. Today, Jesus is going to make two statements from the cross found in John 19, and we're going to look at the second one for all of our time. So John 19, starting verse 28, says this. Jesus knew his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. 
Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Now, the New Testament part of the Bible, the part of the Bible uh, written from the life of Christ beyond, was written in Greek. So this statement that Jesus made, it is finished, is translated into one Greek word that is loaded with meaning. And the word is this, it's tetelestai. So I'd like all of us to say this Greek word out loud together, okay? So on the count of three, we're going to say tetelestai. So here we go. One, two, three. Tetelestai. Great job, you guys. So you can impress your friends, people maybe who weren't here at, at church this morning, at lunchtime. Just go say, hey, I, I, I can speak Greek. You want me to prove it to you? Tetelestai. And then explain to them what tetelestai means. Now, don't get too excited because this is a big word. This is a tough, tough word. So listen to what a couple of 19th century pastors said about this one Greek word. First, Charles Spurgeon. He said, tetelestai is an ocean of meaning in a drop of language, a mere drop. It would need all the other words that ever were spoken or can ever be spoken to explain this one word. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high, I cannot attain it. It is deep, I cannot fathom it. Then Charles Simeon, another 19th century pastor, said, to do justice to that word is beyond the ability of men or angels. Its height and depth and length and breadth are absolutely unsearchable. So there's no pressure or anything this morning on me, but I am going to try to explain a word that is beyond the ability of men or angels to understand or explain. And probably what we should do is pray and go home. (laughs) But since you're here, we got communion ready. I'm going to give it a shot. So to understand this powerful word, we have to have a little history lesson. We've got to go back in time to around Jesus' day, understand how that word was used. So in Jesus' day, the word tetelestai was used in several different ways. So first, it was used between a master and a servant. So if a master gave a servant an assignment, said, hey, I want you to go do this project, go do this chore, the servant would go and do that chore, go do that project. And when the project was finished, completely finished, not 90% finished, not, oh, I got to do a little bit more next week, when it was finished, to the master's expectations. And that servant would come back to the master and say, Tetelestai, it's finished. I did everything you asked me to do to your expectations. It was also used in animal sacrifice. So when somebody would bring an animal to the temple to sacrifice before God for the forgiveness of their sins, temporary forgiveness, they had to bring that animal to a priest first. And the priest would inspect that animal to make sure that it was a perfect animal, couldn't be sick, couldn't have broken bones, had to be healthy, had to be perfect. And when the priest inspected that animal, if that was a worthy sacrifice, the priest would say, Tetelestai. This is a worthy sacrifice to sacrifice before our God. Now that word was also used in the Roman judicial system. So uh, again, part of the history lesson is to understand the Jews were under the oppression of the Romans at that time. So the, the Romans ruled that area of the Middle East. And so the Jews had to follow some of the Roman laws and rules. And if someone was uh, convicted of a crime and it wasn't worthy of death, they would be put in prison. And what a judge would do, he would make out a certificate of debt. And he would write on it, that person's name, he would write their crime and he would write their penalty. Then he would nail that to the prison door. And when that person had paid their restitution, had finished paying back what they needed to pay back, the judge would take that, they would sign it, and then they would write to Telestai across it. This person has paid their debt. 
has had paid their restitution, they are now forgiven of that and they are now free. So if you think about Jesus in the context of what he did when he said it is finished and you look at those definitions, we understand that Jesus fulfilled all of those definitions and more. So first, Jesus finished the assignment that God the Father had given him. And if you think about the assignment that Jesus had, what a big assignment. His assignment was to come to planet Earth and live a perfect life because you and I couldn't do that. So their assignment was to die to pay for our sin debt because we couldn't pay that debt. It was too big of a debt. It couldn't, couldn't do that. So imagine if your purpose in life is to come and die for a group of people who don't deserve to live. Like, that's a big deal. And Jesus did that. Jesus finished all the work that God the Father had assigned him. Another thing that he was asked to do was to come and make it possible for us to be back in a right relationship with God the Father like it was back in the Garden of Eden before sin and death entered the world. And Jesus did that. And, you know, as I was preparing for this message, I was so grateful for Jesus and the work that he did and the way that he did it. He did it perfectly. He did exactly what God the Father had asked him to do. And I wondered for a moment, I thought, you know, what if Jesus did uh, his work the way that many of us do our work? Now, I'm not going to throw you under the bus, but I'll throw myself under the bus a little bit this morning, okay? So sometimes I don't do my work as perfectly as it should be done. Here's an example. When I was a kid, my parents would ask me to do a chore around the house, like clean my room. And like, what a horrible request, you know? Like, that's ter- like it's going to get messy again. Like, I'm going to play and, you know, I'm going to mess it all up. Why would I clean my room? Why would I make my bed? I'm going to sleep in it tonight. Why would I do that? So my parents would ask me to do that. And I would do like 70% of what they asked, maybe 60, possibly 50 you know, like I would put all the big stuff away in my room and make my bed, make it look real nice. And then I would cram stuff in my drawers and, you know, pull my closet door open and push stuff in there, and close the door. And, you know, I'd sweep stuff under the bed or sweep dirt under the rug and hope that my parents wouldn't look in any of those places. I just wanted them to open the door and go, wow, way to go. Good job. You can now go out and play and do whatever you want to do. Uh, I, I didn't want my parents to look in any of those places because if they looked in the door and they, and they looked in my drawers, they would go, sorry, son, let's do this again. You didn't do Tetelestai. It's not finished. Like We got to do this all over again. So I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't approach his work that way. But what if he did? What if Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to live an almost perfect life. I'm going to live to like 90% perfection. It's way better than everybody else on planet Earth. I mean, they can't even go a day without sinning. So I'm going to live like a 90% perfect life. That'll be good enough, won't it? It wouldn't be. Because the sacrifice for our sins had to be perfect. So if Jesus had lived a 90% perfect life or a 95% perfect life, he still would fall short of God's standards. So Jesus had to live a perfect life life. Then imagine if Jesus said, you know what? I'll live a perfect life. That's great. But I'm certainly not dying for those people who, again, can't even make it a day without sinning. Like, why would I do that? That's so unfair. Why would I take on their sin and pay their debt? That's craziness. I lived a perfect life. I should deserve to live. They deserve to die. Sucks to be them. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say sucks to be them. So sorry. (laughs) So, you know. All right. So what if Jesus had done that? Jesus couldn't have done that because then our sins couldn't be forgiven. 
That we couldn't be restored to a right relationship with God if if Jesus hadn't died for us. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus had to die. He had to. He had to live a perfect life. He had to do everything God the Father asked him to do, and he had to do it perfectly. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, the next thing that Jesus finished when he said it is finished from the cross was the Old Testament sacrificial system. This is a system that God set up in the Old Testament part of the Bible for the nation of Israel, for them to be uh, temporarily forgiven of their sins. Uh, It was actually kind of called a covering. So here's basically uh, what it looked like. We later called it substitutionary atonement. So here's how it worked. So God would say to the Israelites, here's what I'm going to let you do. I'm going to let you take an animal, a perfect animal, can't, can't have broken bones, can't be sick, it's got to be a perfect animal. And I'm going to let you take that animal and symbolically place your sins on that animal. And then I'm going to let you kill that animal. And when you kill that animal, I'm going to take that as your penalty. That animal, innocent animal, will, will pay your sin debt. Substitutionary atonement. That animal will be your substitute and die for you. So for thousands of years, the Israelites practiced substitutionary atonement. And then Jesus came along. And John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist, this, this guy, uh, pretty famous in the New Testament part of the Bible, the guy who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was baptizing people, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus coming to him, and he says this profound thing. So think, imagine if you're gathered around uh, John, and you're listening to him, and, and you hear him say this. He says, look, There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right, so if you're there listening to John, you're you're making some connections mentally, like, oh, John's talking about substitutionary atonement. He's talking about the sacrificial system. But then he says, look at Jesus, that person. He is the Lamb of God. And, And they would have been confused. Like, what does that mean? We're used to sacrificing an animal. Like, we put our sins on the animal. What in the world does it mean when John's pointing at a person? He's pointing at Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand it. So John is saying, Jesus will take your place. Jesus will take my place. He'll take your place. He'll be our substitute. We'll symbolically put our sins on him. And so from the cross, Jesus says, when I say it's finished, that old sacrificial system where you sacrifice an animal year after year after year, you don't have to do that anymore because the perfect sacrifice has been made for you. Listen to what Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse uh, one. It says this about that. It says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible, it's not possible, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 11. It says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, meaning Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down 
in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 18 says, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. So Jesus was the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And he made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin, not temporarily, but permanently forgiven of our sins. Now, lastly, on the cross, Jesus served our prison sentence. He paid our sin debt. Now, the word sin is not a very popular word nowadays. Actually, it's kind of offensive. You know, if you were to, to talk about sin, whether big or small, you know, some of us here or other people maybe we know might, might feel a little offended by, like, by that. It's like, who, who is anybody to say that, like, I'm a sinner? That's a little offensive. You know, I'm better than a lot of people. I'm better than, like, a, most of the people I work with. And, and maybe you'd say, maybe even most of your family, you're better than them. You live a better life than, than they do. So who is anybody else to look at us and say, hey, what, you, what you've done is sinful, well, listen to what Romans 3.23 says. Romans 3.23 says, everyone has sinned. Everyone. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So what is God's glorious standard? It's perfection. So just curious. Anybody live a perfect day in their life? Anybody? Okay, thanks for your honesty. I appreciate that. Like, I struggle to make it a perfect hour. Like, sometimes even a couple of minutes strung together. I'm like, man, I did it three minutes. Woo. And then I mess up. Like, none of us, none of us can make it. Uh, even a whole day, much less a whole lifetime. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And then the news gets worse for us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. It's death. Guess what? We deserve to die. We deserve to die for the things that we've done wrong that hurt our relationship with God, whether small or big, doesn't matter. Whether it's just a little white lie that, that separates us, that's like 99% there, but it's not 100%. No matter what we've done, big or small, separates us from our relationship with God and our rightful judge, God takes a certificate of debt and he writes across it our name and he writes across it our crime, sin. And he writes our penalty, death. Now, don't get stuck there. A lot of people get stuck there. They hear that and they're like, you know, that's kind of offensive. I don't really like listening to that. If you get stuck there, you're gonna miss the power of tetelestai. Romans 6.23 continues. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I don't know how many times I've seen that skit. And every time, every time, I think Jesus did that for me. He did that for you. He took your sin your sin, my sin, every sin in the entire world. Scripture says he who knew no sin became sin for us, for me, for you. And he did the unthinkable. He took our place. He was our substitute. He died a death that we should have died. He paid a debt we should have paid. He died on the cross for me and for you. And then on that first Easter morning, God took our certificate of debt and he signed it and he wrote across it, Tetelestai. 
This person's sin has been paid in full. They are now free. They are now forgiven. Listen to what John, uh, the Apostle John says in John 20 about that first Easter morning. He says this, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. On the screen is going to come a picture of the garden tomb in Israel. And a number of us from Epic got a chance to be in Israel uh, in January. So this could be the place. This could be the spot where Jesus had risen from the grave. Verse 2 says, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and that's John who's writing this. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she's thinking somebody just stole the body. She's super sad. So verse 3, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. Those are the burial cloths that Jesus would have been buried in. Saw him lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter arrived and he went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now, to understand the significance of that statement right there, we got to have another little history lesson to understand what happened between a master and a servant around dinner time. So a servant around dinner time would get the dinner table ready. Everything's ready for the master. Master come in and have dinner. And there was a signal for the master to communicate to the servant who usually kind of stepped off to the side of the room, just waiting in case the master needed anything. Master had a a way to communicate to that servant, I'm finished, I'm done, I'm not coming back, you can clean up the table. And the way that the the master would do that was with a a cloth napkin that they would take and crumple up and put it at their place in the table. When the servant saw crumpled napkin, they knew, master's done, not coming back, I can clean the table. But if the master folded that cloth napkin, placed it at his, his spot at the table, he was communicating, I'll be back. I'm not finished yet. So on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is communicating to his disciples through his burial cloth, I'm coming back. I'm not totally finished yet. And verse eight says this. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went and he saw and what did he do? He believed. He saw. Can you imagine being a disciple, like busting into that tomb and looking, expecting to see a body, and you see a burial cloth as if someone vanished out of them. And then you see a folded napkin that's set to the side. John saw that, Peter saw that, and they believed. Verse 9 says, for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Jesus had to rise from the grave. If he had come and lived a perfect life and then died on the cross for us and he didn't rise from the grave, he wouldn't be really significantly different from any of the other religious leaders who claimed to be God and said they, they, they claimed to, to die for people. He wouldn't be all that different. Jesus had to rise from the grave to defeat the curse of sin and death that we had brought unto the world. And he did that. And John and Peter saw and believed. So the question for us this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe he died to pay your sin debt? Do you believe he rose from the grave on that first Easter morning 
to signify to you and, and all of humanity, it's finished. Your, your battle with sin is finished. You can now have an eternal relationship with the creator of the universe. Romans 3.23 again says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 24, yet God. So in our worst spot, when it was hopeless for us, God steps in, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Do you get the symbolism of that? Do you understand the reality, the weight of that? Sometimes we give God a hard time for, why'd you come up with a system where, where something had to die, where, where blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin? God came up with that system knowing he would be the only one who would follow it. He would be the only one who could follow it. So Jesus died as our sacrifice. Verse 25 continues and it says, people are made right with God when they, what? Believe. believe. It's not when we do a bunch of good works. It's not when, when we're going to get a bunch of gold stars by our name for church attendance. It's when we believe. We believe that Jesus died so we can live. And he rose from the grave. Believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So do you believe that? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It's the only way to have your sins permanently forgiven. It's the only way to spend eternity with God in a real place called heaven. Now, for those of you who may never have done that before, you may have never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to guide you through a way you can start a relationship with the creator of the universe. And it's through a decision that we make. It's not this feeling that we have. It's not where we wait around and like, I hope I get there. Scripture says we can know we have eternal life. It's based upon a decision, based upon belief that we have. So on the screen is going to come a prayer, a simple prayer that I'm going to read through and then I'm going to guide us through in just a moment. Let me read through this. God, I believe Jesus died so I can live. That's a central belief when it comes to Christianity and relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding that he died so we can live. So today I receive your free gift. It's one thing to know about something. It's another thing to receive it. So at some point in our lives, we have to say, you know what? I take that. Like I asked you, Jesus, to come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning to live like Jesus. Now, anytime I guide people through something like this, a prayer like this, I need you to understand something. You could pray this prayer every day for the rest of your life, not believe it, and it'll do nothing for you. Nothing. You can pray it one time and believe it. It'll do everything for you for all of eternity. Again, it's a decision that we make at one point in our lives. You don't have to make it again and again and again. You make it one time, one decision. I believe Jesus died for me, and now I want to live for him. So if you've never done that before, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to guide you through how you can. So I'm just going to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray it quietly in your heart between you and God if you're ready to do that, if you think today's the day that you need to do that. And maybe you're in another spot. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I've already done that. I'm a believer in Jesus, but like I've drifted. Like I've forgotten the power of Tetelestai. I've forgotten that it's finished. And maybe today you're deciding, I'm coming back. I'm coming back in my relationship with God. So maybe that's the decision that you'll make today. So let's all pray together and I'll guide you through this. And if you'd like to pray this prayer for the first time, I encourage you to do that. 
God, I believe Jesus died so I can live. Today I receive your free gift of eternal life. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I will spend the rest of my life learning to live like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. On your seat should be a card like this. I encourage you to grab it. Um, Grab that, and there should be a pin close by too. Uh, One side says our sin debt. It represents the sin that, that we've all committed, whether big or small. Maybe you'll find your sin there, maybe you won't, but it just represents the sin that all of us have. Also represents our penalty, which is death that Jesus did away with on the cross. The other side of the card has two boxes, two statements there, and, and maybe you've made a decision today. Maybe you've decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. If you've done that, I encourage you to check that first box. If you've decided to come back to God after a season away, I encourage you to check that second box. And here's what I encourage you to do with these cards. Everybody, whether you've checked a box or not, I encourage you to come up for communion. We're about to take communion. When you come up for communion, bring your card, and I want you to take another card. There's actually a little uh, black basket that you can drop that card in, and I want everybody to pick up another card. This other card says, across the top of it, again, it has our sin debt, and it's written across the top, to Tetelestai, paid in full. I want you to take this card. I want you to put it somewhere that will remind you that your sins have been paid in full by Jesus. All of them. The, the, the sin you committed this morning, the sin you'll commit tomorrow, the sin you'll commit 10 years from now, all of that is finished. Jesus has paid it in full. On the back side of this card are some action steps for you. So if if you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time today, there's some steps for you to take that tell somebody, get baptized. We have a baptism later today, so sign up for that at our Connection Center. Some things that you can do that'll help you grow in your relationship with God. If you're coming back to God after a season away, then I encourage you to follow the action steps that are there for you. So keep this card somewhere that will remind you that your sins have been paid in full and what you need to do to grow your relationship with the creator of the universe. Now, here's how we do communion at Epic. Communion is open to anybody who has put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So whether you've done that here, you've done that in another place, whether you're from out of town, if you're a believer in Jesus, we not only encourage you or invite you, we also encourage you to celebrate communion with us. Um, So whether this is your church home or not, none of that matters. Um, We hope that you'll celebrate communion with us. We've got six different table set up with the communion elements on them. So two up front, there's four in the back, and each of the tables has communion elements. So it's got the bread that represents Christ's body, which is broken for you and me. It's got cups of juice that represent Jesus' blood, which was poured out for us. So when you come up, bring your card, drop it in a basket, pick up another card, and pick up a piece of bread, pick up a a cup of juice. You can go back to your seat if you want. Our worship team's going to be singing a song. You can stand to the side wherever and just kind of move out of the way so more people can come up behind you. I encourage you to pause for a prayer before you take communion. Say something, I don't know, like whatever's meaningful to you, but say something along the lines of, God, thank you for Tetelestai, that it's finished. It's not just partially finished. It's fully finished. It's done. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are coming back for me. 
All right, so say something meaningful in your conversation with God, and then go ahead and take communion during this next song. By the end of communion, everyone should have taken communion, or by the end of this song, everyone should have taken communion. So hopefully that all makes sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says this. It says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which has been given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Why is it important that we're announcing the Lord's death? We're announcing to Telestai. It's finished. And Jesus is coming back. So let's pray together. God, what a powerful word that I totally agree with this 19th century pastors who, who said it's like beyond the ability of men and angels to comprehend. Lord, I'm so grateful for that word. I'm grateful for that statement that, Jesus, you made from the cross. More than just the statement, I'm grateful for the work that you've done, that you finished everything that God the Father asked you to do, and you did it perfectly. You did away with that old sacrificial system that we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Jesus, you were our sacrifice. You were our substitute. You died for us so we can live. We're so grateful that you paid our sin debt. Not partially. You paid it in full. And now we, undeserving us, are free. We're free and we're forgiven. We can enter a relationship with you that lasts forever. So God, I pray for those this morning who've, who've made that decision today. I pray that you would grow them strong in their relationship. I pray that they, they would have this deep thirst and hunger and a desire to grow to become more like Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are coming back after a season away. I pray that they would understand what Romans 8, 1 says. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Once our sins have been forgiven, they are forgiven. We can come back and embrace you fully and get back in a right relationship with you and move forward. I pray that they would. Lord, we are incredibly grateful that salvation hinges on what you have done and not what we have done. We're grateful that on that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the grave to communicate to all of us, it's finished, and I'm coming back. So Lord, today we celebrate communion to announce the work that you did on the cross and to say we are eager and we are excited and we are expectant and our eyes are open for that day that you're going to come back. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. You are now free to take communion. Hey, good morning, Epic. Good morning. We are so glad you are here this morning. Happy Easter. This is such a special day that we get to celebrate today together. I have several announcements for you this morning. First of all, if you are a guest with us, we are so glad that you are here this morning. We invite you after the service to swing by our Connection Center, which is in the room behind you. We'd love to meet you, answer any questions that you may have about Epic, and give you some information about who we are.
Well, as you can see this morning, we have a different setup. If you need the restrooms or the family zone, they are located in the room behind you. If your kids are with you this morning and they get a little restless and need to stretch their legs, please take them over to the family zone. There's some coloring books there. You guys can hang out there and still hear the message. There, the audio is pumped into that room. Also, if you do need to leave early, please use the doors behind you and head out the way that you came in this morning. This afternoon, we have a baptism at the beach, at Flagler Beach. And this is one of my favorite things that we do at Epic because we get to celebrate with people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. So plan to come out this afternoon at 5.30 at 16th Street North at Flagler Beach. If the weather does not cooperate with us, we will post any cancellations on Facebook. Here at Epic, the place to get connected is in our groups, and Starting Point is the best place to start. Starting Point is a nine-week conversational environment where you'll explore the story of God and get to answer get any of your questions that you may have answered. And it's great for wherever you are on your journey, whether you have questions, whether you're coming back to church, or if you've been around church for a while. In two weeks, on April 10th, we'll have a starting point and next step information meeting where you can find out some more information and sign up. If you want information now, you can go online to theepicchurch.com and sign up there as well. 3G Saturday is coming up on April 16th, and on that day, we are going to go into the community, gather at project sites, and give of our time. And the reason we have 3G Saturday is because we are for Flagler. We are for our community because God is for our community. So we'd love for you to join us. On your seats, there is a card with all of the projects listed. We're going to build, we're going to clean up, we're going to organize, feed people, and love on people. So sign up for a project this week. They do fill up quickly. At Epic, we love to give, not only through serving of our, with our time, but also with our resources. And if you call Epic your home, there are a couple ways that you can give, either through the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections or online at theepicchurch.com. If this, is, if this is your first time with us today, if you're a guest with us, please feel no obligation to give. Well, we hope you enjoy the rest of the service. Let's check out this video together. <laughs> 